Hi everyone, welcome back to White Coat Club. My name is Lindsay. I am one of the counselors at Moon Prep. I'm Alex from Moon Prep. And I'm Nicole from Moon Prep. All right, and today we're going to talk a lot about um, the AP curriculum and the pros and cons of picking it for your high school student. Yeah, so one of the first things that we get a lot of questions about are is what are AP courses? So we figured we would kind of start there. Yeah, so that's a great place to start. So AP stands for Advanced Placement, and they are college-level courses that are operated by the College Board. College Board also operates, I'm sure everyone has heard about the SAT. Um, so they are all under the umbrella of College Board. These high-level courses are typically offered at high schools to provide students the opportunity to earn college credits. Um, each AP course is associated with a large exam at the end of the year, and students will receive an exam grade of a one through five, five and four typically being the passing marks, three being potentially passing or more neutral, and one or two being um, potentially failing marks. Yeah, and there's a ton of different AP classes out there, so no matter what your interests are, you can definitely find stuff. You can do like AP Art History. AP English Literature and Composition, AP, we may even have AP Chinese and like Japanese and Spanish, of course, mm -hmm. um, AP Physics, AP Bio, really kind of anything that you probably want to take, they'll have. So it's kind of nice as kids can explore interest before they get into college and see what they might be interested in pursuing further. Yeah. So what do we think is the ideal number or how many AP courses should a student take to be a competitive candidate? So that's a really great question and um, something that I hear quite often from students and families across the board. And there really isn't a correct answer for that. So we can't say if a student takes 12 APs, um, then that is the number to get them into their dream school. Um, we do wanna be cautious because some schools across the country also have regulations that a freshman can only take one or a freshman can't take an AP course or some schools allow students to take whatever um, load they would like. So there isn't technically a correct answer of how many you should take, but it is really important to think about what your passions are, what your interests are, and to continue to explore through your high school curriculum. Um, it is also really important too that students don't overwhelm themselves. So colleges um, will look for students that are passionate that they are exploring things inside and outside of the classroom. So they really want to have strong resumes. So re uh, research, community service, um, maybe employment. So if a student has too many rigorous courses um, in their load, they might not have the opportunity to explore things outside of the classroom as well. And we know sports as well. If a student is playing one or two varsity sports, it takes a lot of time out of their schedule. So students really want to make sure that they are making, they want to make sure that they are balancing their workload um, the amount of time they need to study and prepare for all of their courses, as well as balancing their resume, extracurriculars, and finding that path of passion for themselves. Yeah, and I think that's something that parents and kids sometimes forget. They get kind of in that rat race where, you know, my friend is taking four APs. So that means I have to take at least four APs as well to kind of keep up with them and maintain the GPA and, you know, be competitive and not look like I'm slacking. But but exactly what Alice was saying, that we have to have that balance and make sure that we're not overwhelming. Um, I think I read in 
online or maybe in your notes, Alex, that each AP class will take like between four to eight hours of, of studying and like outside work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time for a kid with everything else that they're going on with. So if they have to do their sports and extracurriculars and just like normal team things, it's impossible to do that all. And it's okay not to take every single AP that's at the school and kind of target your interests. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so what do we feel like is more important, the AP score itself or the grade that the student receives in that class? Well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think that both are kind of equally important. Um, for the AP exams, it is kind of a standardized like syllabus that the teacher will be following. And so there's, there's not going to be like a ton of deviation per se, but there are some maybe teachers who teach it easier or teach it harder. And so it's, you know, standardized, but not hundred percent standardized. So if you get an A um, with one teacher, it doesn't necessarily always translate to an A with another one. And I think some schools probably know that, mm-hmm. um, but the AP exam, of course, is standardized. Um, and now that being said, like, of course, I've had kids who've gotten an A in the class and just like, didn't really take the AP exam seriously and maybe got a two or a one or didn't take the exam at all just because they didn't prioritize it. Um, and they've still gotten into like their top programs, but it was like a sense of fear and anxiety for those months. Cause they're like, well, now how am I going to get compared? Like, what are they going to think? And so, you know, I think that both, both do matter at the end of the day, kind of prove your competency level. Yeah, I completely agree. I think some students try and be strategic and they'll try and pick an AP class that they feel might be easier and it's not something they're really interested in um, or maybe it is a better teacher. Um, But in the end, the student's transcript is going to be sent to all the colleges. So they will see that rigor of the course load. They'll see the grade earned. Of course, we know AP um, grades will get a little bit of a boost and that's different in every high school. It could be one point or two points for AP or dual enrollment, but that is something that does depend on the school. Um, and then some schools also have a different policy about, um, whether students have to take the AP exam. So I always recommend when a student asks, um, if it's optional at their school, I say you took that curriculum for a whole year. Um, I would say you spent a whole year studying and preparing and working really hard. Why wouldn't you take a shot at that exam? Um, But in the end, we know on the Common App, you can self-report your exams. So typically that's where students will take the opportunity to self-report their fours and fives. Um, We will talk about individually if that three should be on there, but we usually don't ever self-report or a one or two. But if the student is then questioning if they should take the exam, or if they're going to um, potentially not pass the exam, then maybe that course isn't the right one for them. And they should really relook at their whole course uh, load and the selection process for that year. Yeah, I think the score definitely has a big, big impact. You know, I I completely agree with what Lindsay was saying about different teachers teach in different ways. Um, So I know myself and Alex have both worked at high schools, and I definitely know that there could be two teachers teaching AP Biology, and some students just may perform a little bit better than others, even though it is a standard curriculum. But then when it comes down to those tests at the end of the year, um, it's pretty evident who knows the curriculum more. so I definitely think that scores have a big, big weight, um, aside from just the class grade itself. Um, oh, and Nicole, you made me think about one excellent point too. Sometimes recommendations from one year to the next 
Um, schools will use those AP scores, which come out in July, for the recommendation for the following year. So if students don't do well in the AP scores, the school might say they're not ready to continue the AP curriculum the following year. So great point. So how do we think the best way for students to select their AP credits? Oh, I would love to answer this question. Thanks so much, Nicole. It's a good one. Um, I think starting off from the transition from eighth grade to ninth grade, even though it sounds maybe early and yes, somebody is just transitioning from middle school to high school, but I think the best strategy is really to plan out a four-year plan at that point. And whether that's your meeting with your school counselor or your college counselor, but really looking at the four years and what's the trajectory that your school offers as far as the courses and selection process. Um, so most schools will also have a school profile. That profile is submitted with every transcript and application. Um, so on that profile, you can see every course that's offered. Um, so it is a great idea to sit down with mom and dad or potentially a counselor and highlight the trajectory of courses you would like to take. Also make note of prerequisites. If you are interested in history, you might need to take AP World in ninth grade to register for AP Euro in 12th grade or AP Psych in 11th grade. So it is really important that you meet the prerequisites. And yes, yes, we know the four-year plan is going to change, um, but it is a good idea to try and map out all of these um, pieces so you can make sure you do get the classes that you do want to take. Um, and then sometimes we do have to take a step back and take a, bre a breath. Um, because maybe a course um, isn't being offered that year or doesn't work in your schedule, but at least having that four-year plan will help get you to the finish line and the finish line of where you want to be. Um, it is a really big transition from eighth grade to ninth grade, so that's something we do also want to think about and maybe not overload, and if a school has a policy of just one AP, I think that's a great idea to help students get their feet wet in a college-level course. We want to remember that a 14-year-old taking a college-level course is going to be stressful. They might have to work on their time management skills and organization. And not overloading and taking an, potentially one AP and a few honors is a great way to do that before the transition from 10th grade to 11th and 12th, where they can potentially take more AP courses that highlight their interests and passions. I absolutely agree. I love the idea of thinking about your four years in that transition from eighth to ninth. And I don't think that a lot of schools allow for that. They're really just focused on, you know, scheduling ninth grade and then we can think about the other things going forward. But I think as a family, and if you're working with an independent counselor, it's really important to start looking at the, the course catalog, looking at the specific rules that your school might have about taking APs and any prerequisites that there will be for the ones that you're interested in taking. And then even if you're not mapping it with your counselor, just map it kind of on your own with your, your family um, and always have a backup plan as well. Because the ninth grade transition is extremely difficult for a lot of students. So I love that idea of maybe taking one AP if you're allowed to, um, and then loading up on some honors classes and seeing how that transition goes. Yeah, completely agree. And just following the passions at the end of the day, not getting caught up in what everyone else is doing. Like I always use AP US history as like an example of like kind of a time consuming class that maybe a lot of kids don't have a huge interest in, in history, but it seems like one of those classes that like everyone, or I guess not everyone, but a lot of kids, especially the kids we're working with that are going for BSMD are taking, but it's a lot, you know, that is a lot of memorization. It can be a lot of reading and, you know, digesting and, you know, being able to 
um, you know, be able to write papers and analyze things sometimes. And so it is, it can be a lot of work, but think about if like, that's how you want to spend, you know, four to eight hours every week. And if not, if you would rather be doing, you know, calculus or environmental science or, you know, art history or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter what, but those can kind of help to dictate where your schedule will be. And then just like Alex was saying too, like that flexible four-year plan, you might realize, think that you're going to really love computer science. You take the first, you know, computer science principles and realize it's not for you. You don't have to keep going. Like it is a plan that can grow and evolve with you and your interests as you kind of go along. And I definitely think, Lindsay, what you said kind of made me think about something else. You know, if students are trying to load up and they're going to say, I'll take, you know, AP US and um, AP language just to fit it in just for another AP, the schedule may not allow for all of that at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're doing block scheduling, it, it might just not be the case if they don't have a large high school. So really just focusing on the ones that you want to take, because once that schedule is set, the, you know, counselors really don't want to go back and then make the changes. Well, cause I really only wanted these two, but I signed up for all four and, you know, so prioritizing what you want to take and what's important to you based on your goals. And then, you know, not putting so much weight on the rest of it. And especially if you have your eye on like IVs or BSMD programs, those direct med programs, you are going to have to be showcasing like rigor. Um, but still, even so you don't have to be taking every single AP that's, that's there. So yeah strategize is like definitely the name of the game here. And, you know, your school counselor is the one that's making your schedule at the end of the day. So if they know your goals, you know, and they are aware of kind of what you're looking to do, they can definitely keep that in mind when they're placing you in specific classes and looking at the master schedule and making it work for you. And, you know, a lot of times if you're in communication with them over the summer months, when they're filling holes and making those changes, um, just making sure you're checking your email and, you know, being up to date with what's available in this specific hole, if it's not my first choice. Um, so really get yourself in classes that are aligned with your interests, especially if you're going for those BSMD or direct med programs. And I think Lindsay had a great point about talking about your passions and sometimes taking a class like AP computer science principles, I think is a great one. You might plan to take AP computer science A afterwards, but maybe really coding isn't your thing and you needed that class to show you that. So I encourage students to take classes to explore, but then also when they realize they like something, great, we're gonna continue. But when they realize it's not something they're passionate about, that's also a win because we can somehow you know check that off the box too and say, okay, this isn't the path we're going to proceed in. And it helps narrow down um, their future profession, future major or career. So back to those AP testing versus the class. I've had students in the past who don't want to take that exam. We kind of touched on that a little bit. Is it better, do we think, to not take the test at all if the student really feels like they're going to get a poor grade? I, mean, I think they should still take it because you don't have to report it. It is all self-reported. You only really have to send your scores to the school you got into at the end of the day. And so the worst that happens is you don't report it anyway. So you might as well take it. You never know. You could, you could surprise yourself and, and get the score that you, that you want, like a four or five that would potentially be getting you credit as well. So yeah, I would, I would always encourage them to take it. Yeah. I've always done that as well. I feel like a lot of times when all the registration is happening, a lot of students kind of get cold feet and want to back out and I don't want to take it. I don't want to take it. Mm -hmm. Um, just go for it, see what happens. Um, I don't think it'll harm you if anything, like you said, you could just not self-report. I guess the only time my strategy really changes is now I'm thinking about it like senior year, 
um, once they know what college they're going to get into. Um, if I have a kid who's like not really wanting to take it because senior is just hitting them hard, I tell them to look at like the college page and see like, are they going to give you credit for this class anyway? So if they're something that you could get a five and they won't give you credit for it, then maybe there's no point spending that month studying. Um, and because you already know that's the school that you're going to, it's not just like a dream. That's like the one you've committed to. I guess that's maybe the only time my strategy has changed. I don't know if that's bad advice or not, but that's what I've told some kids in the past who were kind of on the edge. Well, some seniors definitely think senioritis is a real disease. So yeah. I can understand <laughs> that advice. Um, so I, I would definitely agree. I also think students don't sit very often for a long exam. Like sometimes classes are 47 minutes, 55 minutes. Um, sometimes the first exam that students sit for that's really long is the PSAT and then from the SAT and ACT from there. So I don't think sitting for long periods of time and taking a test is a bad experience for students. I think it can help them prepare for the future if they are going to take a graduate level exam or, or something. But I do feel like learning how to deal with that test fatigue is definitely something that students can learn in high school that will benefit them down the road. Alex, I think that that was a really great point. Um, Definitely some seniors do think that senioritis is a real actual disease. Um, does the AP have awards for strong students? I get that question a lot from parents. I don't know a ton, but I do know that they have like scaled back the awards a little bit in the past. Um, Cause before there was like maybe eight or nine different awards. And now I think there's only like four or five. I couldn't tell you. And Alex probably knows way better than me, um, which ones got taken away. But my understanding of why they did it was just because they wanted to encourage students to not be so stressed about the AP exams um, and the awards and kind of, you know, that external gratification of getting a high score and get those awards. But yeah, they do have some awards that I'm sure Alex can tell us all about. So there, there were some additional college board awards that they would grant their students. Um, they still have the National Hispanic Scholarship Award. So that's still through College Board and something that Hispanic students should apply for. That is one not granted. You actually have to do, a, you do have to apply for that one. Um, there are also three additional um, AP Scholar Awards that you can receive for doing exceptionally well on exams. So there's the AP Scholar Award, where students who receive a score of three or higher on three exams will be honored with that award. Um, there's also the AP Scholar with Honor Award where students who um, take three or more exams and have an average of a 3.25 will be honored with that award. And then last but not least, there's the AP Scholar with Distinction, which is the highest AP um, award for taking the AP exam, where students will have a 3.5 on average with um, three or more. Typically it says, oh no, it's wrong. Scores of three or higher on five exams. Um, so this is something that will be granted to students after each exam cycle. And then students, since this is a national award, can add this onto their Common App as one of the awards in the award section. Um, we do know as counselors that sometimes students are sometimes looking for a little bit of an extra award. Uh, so if they are good test takers, uh, College Board does offer this opportunity for students to recognize their accomplishments on the AP exams. So how do students actually find out if they are an AP scholar? Um, is it them doing it themselves or do they get some type of notification from the College Board or their high school specifically? 
So that's a great question. College Board will let the child know that they received one of the awards. So this can also change. So let's say in 10th or 11th grade, they took three exams. Well, maybe they received the first honor. Then after the following year, they took two more and then they would receive the next honor. So College Board will make this announcement. Also, when they log onto their College Board account, they will also see the recognition. Um, so sometimes a student will tell me, hey, I think I will be receiving this recognition. And you could just quickly look at their test scores and the chart of awards and see, oh, great, that's an award they will be receiving from College Board when it is announced. Um, a lot of schools will also make this announcement because schools are very proud of their students who do well on the exams. So that might be something that the school counselors or administration will also share with the students when that list is produced um, to the administration and counselors. Awesome. That makes sense. So I know that there's two AP courses that are being added to the curriculum in the next few years. Um, let's talk about those. What are the names of those specifically? So last year, the College Board piloted two new courses that will be implemented into the 2023-2024 school year. The first one is AP Precalculus, and the second one is AP African American Studies. So what's great about these two courses, the first one being a lot of schools will offer the AP Calc AB and BC and then AP Stats. Um, but we do know a lot of colleges are really interested in seeing students reach that pre-calc level, especially if they are a STEM student. So I'm really excited for AP Pre-Calc being a school, a course that's added to school curriculum as well as the African-American studies. I think this is gonna be a great way for um, students to learn more about history and to have another option in that area. Yeah, the AP histories are always popular. So I feel like adding just one more um, is just a great way for students to know, especially in the state, in certain states, I'm in North Carolina specifically, you know, you have to have the credit, but it's not specific on, you know, you have to have world, you have to have um, history and economics, but the other one is kind of can be whatever you want it to be. So it's kind of just a great other option for students to hit that credit, um, but something that they're a little bit more interested in. You're 100% right. We have a lot of students that are also interested in AP psychology. Um, not a lot of schools offer that AP Euro. So this could be that fourth history class that students do need, but it is not well-defined as far as a graduation requirement. Yeah. And I'm really excited for AP Pre-Calculus. I think that it's going to be a great kind of stepping stone for a lot of students also, if they're looking to continue their math and continue the rigorous math. Um, so I'm excited for that one. I had some like freshmen and sophomores who asked me, who obviously saw that the pre-calc, AP Pre-Calc was coming out and they had already taken their pre-calc. And then they were wondering if they were going to be penalized because they hadn't taken it. And maybe kids who were in the year after them. And of course, that's not going to be the case because you took what options were there and what was available. And I guess that's one thing we should have maybe mentioned too, whenever we were talking about like how many APs is a good number. Some schools will have very few options because it is, you know, a big ordeal to get AP classes in and having someone who can teach it and, you know, having those standards. And some schools will have a lot of APs and then some will have just very few. So you're also not going to be penalized if, you know, you only had five AP classes at your school and you took, you know, three or four of them versus some kid who maybe had 20 and then they took quite a few more. So that's like something to kind of think about as well. So as long as you're taking advantage of what you have in front of you when you were taking the classes, that's all that really matters. 
I think that's where the school report comes in so big, where they the colleges will know specifically which APs were offered, what are the implications, can you take them in ninth grade, all of those rules and things like that is going to be outlined for the schools to kind of put everyone on kind of an even playing field when it comes down to looking at what every student took. So I'm actually pretty curious about how many schools will offer these two new courses. I feel like sometimes high schools have their curriculum and their teachers already pretty set. I do hope that there are schools and teachers though that are really willing to explore a new um, opportunity for their students. I do feel that it might be a little bit um, small in the first you know year or two of, of schools implementing these two new courses but i do hope over time that schools are able to bring these um courses and opportunities to their students yeah there'll probably be maybe one section per you know semester um and i also you know they have to get trained and certified by the ap in order to teach the course so, Nicole, you're 100% right about teachers needing to be certified in the AP. So if schools are bringing these two new courses to their classrooms, they will either have to hire new teachers or more teachers and then have them certified. So there might be a little bit of a lag for sure bringing them in. Yeah, we had something similar. It wasn't for AP testing specifically, but there was a new um, requirement for North Carolina for the histories. So getting those teachers certified for that specific course, kind of everything got jumbled around. Alex was completely right. You know, months in advance, we know what teachers are teaching what courses for the following year. And if we're jumping into a new type of course, you know, not everyone is going to be ready and willing to do this new training over the summer to be certified for a new curriculum that they've never taught before. Um, So it can be kind of stressful on the school to add new things in, but I definitely think in the long run, it's definitely worth it. And I do really hope that the AP pre-calc class supports the curriculum for the AP Calc AB and BC. So since they are hopefully have some curriculum curriculum alignment that will help support students in those two really difficult classes, because if a student does have the option of pre-calc honors, that's typically the curriculum of the school, um, but being mandated by college board and the AP curriculum, they will maybe have more alignment with the other two, um, with the other two courses. Yeah, I think it's a good stepping stone before AP Calc. Um, I think a lot of students go from pre-calculus or pre-calculus honors to AP Calculus, and it's just a really large jump um, from students that I've worked with specifically. I think that's one of the biggest jumps, and I think it's one of the biggest jumps that students have a difficult time with. There's even some schools that will skip AP Calc AB altogether and allow students just to go to BC. And that's where I really want families to really think about that. Uh, A student can happily complete AP Calc AB and then potentially move on to BC if they are in 11th and 12th grade. But I would advise students, unless they are extremely, extremely talented in math, to skip that AB level because BC is challenging on its own. And then at that quicker pace, it's even more challenging. So if there's any questions, definitely chat as a family, chat with the counselor, chat with a college counselor, and just make sure that this course selection is the right track for for them and their needs. That's exactly what I was going to ask. I feel like that's always a question, especially one that we kind of just dealt with now that we were helping with course selection this spring is AV or BC. And I feel like kids always want to just jump right into the BC. And I have a lot of kids who don't have to do the AV um, 
and it is hard and they don't, I think that a lot of times they don't really mentally prepare for it and realize it is, it is going to be a lot of work. It is really fast mm -hmm. so thinking about those things before and then talking maybe to upperclassmen too can help you make some choices as well. Yeah, that's a great point too. And I always say like, don't always listen to your peers because, you know, their opinion might not be your opinion. Um, but sometimes knowing the school, the teachers, and just going through it themselves, they can really give some great advice. We also touched base a little bit on the grades in one of the previous questions, but it is important to acknowledge that students are taking more rigorous courses. Of course, colleges do appreciate that, but we don't want students taking AP courses and getting C's or D's. Colleges really don't appreciate seeing a C on a transcript, even if it is a really rigorous course. So that's why, you know, we really want to make sure that we are balancing our curriculum, course load, and our resume, and all of those pieces, and going to extra help. I can't tell you how many students say they're having a difficult time in a class, and my first question will always be, oh, are you going to extra help? And I would say, I'm making up a statistic, but I'd say 95% of the time, the answer is no, they do not go to extra help. And a really important piece for students to realize is, Go to extra help. That is a teacher that is working with you every single day on the curriculum. It is great to have a tutor outside of school as well, but you have to go to extra help. That's the person working with you. That's the person making the exam and that's the person grading you. So make sure you understand what is happening in class. So they, I think, should be the first person you speak with when you're having a difficult time. Hiring a tutor is great as a supplemental piece as well, but it is important that Yes, you will get a GPA boost for being in a more rigorous course, dual enrollment or AP or honors, but we really want to make sure that you are staying in that high achieving range because that's what the colleges are going to look at. You're taking a college level course and it's pretty parallel to the course that you could be taking at their college. So they want to make sure that you are college ready when you get there. Now, if a kid is getting like a C first semester, they end with a C in their AP, would you recommend that they continue at that AP level where they drop down to like the honors version of, you know, pre-calc or whatever it might be? What would you kind of suggest in those situations? And they have been getting help. They have been, you know, tutoring and things like that. They did take steps. So I don't want everyone to be alarmed right now. If I mentioned don't get a C and someone does have a C on their transcript, we're going to work through all of that. Um, so if someone does earn a C semester one, it is very important that semester two, they bring that up. Colleges will look at that transition from semester one to semester two. They'll also look for nine, 10, and 11. So if a student started off weaker in ninth grade and then moved up to more rigorous and higher grades, they appreciate that transition. Um, a lot of the schools won't let somebody withdraw from an AP course if they're already enrolled. So that would 100% be on the school policy, since a lot of times you're already registered and you pay for the exam. If there is the opportunity to transition down to an honors, it would be something to think about. Um, is, is there a possibility for them to do well next semester? Can we add more support? Um, can we do Khan Academy? Like, what else can we do? Because I'd rather a student try really hard, add some additional supplemental support, and then get that B to show the college that that is, you know, who they are as a student, that they could persevere. But if that's not what it's looking like, and maybe the course selection was done incorrectly, then I would rather them be in the right level for them. Um, but what I would really hope for the student is that first two weeks of schools, typically that add drop period, that's the time they really need to be focusing on their classes and realizing 
is this the right level for me? And not only my teachers recommended me for this class, I should be here, or my friends told me this class is really easy. That's why I should be here. So I would 100% say really, really pay attention to those first two weeks. If you're not in the right level, you can change levels and that will not be on your transcript since it's still in the add drop period. But no one wants a W on their transcript or you know not being able to switch levels due to school policy. So really take into account um, the level and um, through the add drop period. Yes. If there's any doubt, um, definitely keep in mind when that ad drop period is. And then look at the syllabus as well. I feel like so many students, the ones that are coming in either the day before or the day after the ad drop day are realizing that they just read the syllabus and they're just realizing that it's going to be all of this reading or all of these assignments that they are not prepared to do or don't really want to put in the effort to do. So I think so many students don't read the syllabus until, you know, they're in the moment doing it at the time. And that's, you know, I think really important just to do and get used to doing, especially when it comes to college too. And if a student is in the wrong class and they don't realize before that ad drop period ends and they do have a W on their transcript, they can potentially explain what that W is on their common app and why they had to withdraw. And then I always say, this is a life lesson. In college, you're going to have a two week ad drop period. Please, please, please pay attention to the course load, to your schedule, and make sure that you are in all the correct classes in college, because we know on your college transcript, you definitely don't want a W. So high school is that time to grow and to learn. And sometimes we do pick an incorrect class, or sometimes we do have a really difficult time in one subject area. So these are all where we learn these life lessons that will hopefully support us when we are in college and beyond. It's especially true for if you're applying to medical school, if I guess if talking about from the university standpoint, having W's on applications, that's something that they'll really explicitly ask about in like your secondary applications. Like, did you have any W's and why? So they're really questioning you on those types of things. You want to have a good reason. Um, and it's okay to take challenging courses and it's okay not to get, you know, all A's, but you definitely do want to challenge yourself and make sure that it's within your field also being challenged. You're not fighting off more than you can chew there. So I get this question a lot with families, you know, what is better in preparation for college and what is better on a college, you know, on a transcript application for college, dual enrollment or AP courses? So that's a great question. Not all schools offer dual enrollment options. So I think if dual enrollment is not an avenue that you can proceed with, then obviously we would want to look at the AP and the honors. If your school does offer dual enrollment opportunities, I think I say it's a great opportunity. You are taking a college level class at a college. Okay, I don't really like this. I think what's <laughs> I think what's hard about this one is sometimes students will take like thirty credits and then they all don't transfer. So. Yeah. What do you, maybe I shouldn't be the first one to go with this. I think the rigor is really great, but also it's not like it's mandatory. And also if you're taking at your local community college and you're going to uh, UPenn, they're not going to take it. (laughs) So what do you guys think? (laughs) No, that's, I mean, that's how I feel about AP sometimes in general too. It's like you put in all this work and then you don't even get like the credit point at the end. It seems like a scam sometimes, but um I completely agree with you. I don't really, usually I say like a mixture, I guess. Is that what you guys would say? Like take some mixture. And then if there be SMD, I mean, I usually say AP bio and AP chem versus taking bio one-on-one at a a school. And usually like my reasoning is like, they don't know your little 
community college in your little random town versus like it's a standardized curriculum so they know exactly what you're learning similar to like you know different teachers different things um like a school teach differently but I usually say if you have the chance to then maybe do like an art or like an English or something else you're into not like not the math and sciences yeah and try to take like something that's not at school so if like you think you don't have psychology sociology maybe you could do enroll there oh that's a great point so if the college offers a course that is not offered at your high school, then that would be a great opportunity to take that as usually what I say. Like so many students in certain states like meet all their graduation requirements so early on if they like just don't fail anything. (laughs) I know how that is. That's how it is here. I was shocked moving from New York, Alex, like to North Carolina, the requirements to graduate. I'm like, that's it. (laughs) So if you have the space and like you've taken the AP bios and stuff, like I, you know, take dual enrollment, see, do other classes because there's going to be a ton of different things that you can do. I also think one of the pros of dual enrollment is you can network with professors on a college campus. So that can open up opportunities for being a TA or research or something down the road. So I think dual enrollment is great for students to network outside of their own high school. So I think that does open up a lot of possibilities as well. And then another two other thoughts that I have, like they're treating you more like a college student where the AP the class is not really run more like a college class than an AP class. Like it's still the same like homework and you know they're pushing you, you're not doing it on your own. So a lot of times the dual enrollment is either virtual. So they're back to virtual learning, but they're like having to sign in on their own and find the assignments. It's not a teacher like breathing down their neck, telling them what to do, or they're like getting in their car, they're driving to campus, they're looking for their building, like all of those like new skills that they never had. Um, and then my second thought was like, let's say they're not BSMD and they just want to go to like Chapel Hill. If they're a North Carolina student, definitely do dual enrollment because they will take all of those credits for sure. Um, so I guess it's, just, it's just depending on the student. That's a great point. I think one of the cons of dual enrollment can be the scheduling. Um, so maybe the courses are not offered during the day and it could be at night or it doesn't fit with a student's schedule. So that's something you might have to plan out a little bit more ahead of time with your counselor. I know for dual enrollment, because of the matriculation agreement that they have to typically fill out an application well ahead of time and make sure that there is a professor and all of that. So sometimes it can be multi-level and then it might not actually work out in the long run. So I would just say that that needs a lot of time and organization to make sure your dual enrollment course, if you do want to take one, works out um, and fits in your schedule. So dual enrollment does add similar rigor to a student's transcript. If the dual enrollment classes are added right to that high school transcript, the colleges will see that. Other times students have to remember to actually add that they took a college level course on the common app or the application that they're completing, Um, but the rigor will be there. Um, Another con would be if the future college they go to does accept that credit. If they don't accept the credit, you have a strong foundation in a class. And that did help boost your application, your transcript by showing that rigor. But that is one con that some individuals do um, that some individuals should think about. But a lot of times to the dual enrollment fees are much cheaper than if you took them at a college on your own. Um, So that is also a, a pro is that you can receive college credit at a discounted rate. One thing to think about, too, if you're applying for medical school, like when you're an undergrad is 
you have to make sure that you're following like where those prereqs can come from. So if you're thinking that you can use like your biology or physics or whatever it is as a prereq, you need to make sure that you're getting it from the place that the medical school wants to get it from. Cause sometimes they won't accept AP credit. Sometimes they won't accept community college courses or things like that. Um, so making sure that if you are planning ahead and thinking that these are going to be like the answer to you shortening your time in college, you know, just do your research first, essentially. So do all colleges accept the AP credit for college credit also? I feel like I'm always saying it depends. And I really don't enjoy that answer, but I do think it's important for families and students to know that it really does depend on each university or college that they're applying to. So if you do have a question about whether your future college or your list of colleges would accept one of your AP courses and exam grades, then I would definitely recommend going right to that admissions page. They actually have that all written and they have their policy on the scores that are required as well as what courses will get you what credits. So for some schools, if you take AP Bio, you can get a four and five on them and then get six credits at that undergraduate college. Other colleges say that they will accept that as an elective and others say, great job taking it, but we still want you to take our bio class, especially if you are a student that's interested potentially in medicine and you're applying to one of these very, very rigorous and difficult universities or colleges. So it does depend. And if you want to do your research, all that information is on every admissions page, which will be helpful, especially when you're doing the course selection, because maybe you would pick a class that does they're not ignore all that, but right at the end of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree that it's important to do your research beforehand so that you don't think you're going to get all this credit for your threes and then realize when you're actually looking at the schools, you won't get any. So it's just kind of nice to be able to see what cool, what's, what schools different regulations are just because it will vary from place to place. Um, and some BSMD programs um, I believe that they don't accept AP credit at all. They kind of want you to be taking classes in your in their institution, and then some allow you to use it to kind of accelerate your path. So it does it does vary even from BSMB program to BSMB program. And in some public schools, you can basically go in as a junior if you took a lot of AP courses, and that can really save you a lot of time and money. So you can be very strategic with this part of the process, but you definitely have to do your research. Mm-hmm. and be prepared for that culture shock of going into junior year level classes in college because it is going to be a lot more rigorous than even the AP exam so just making sure that you are mentally prepared if you're going to try and hop right into some really advanced courses yes and sometimes parents will say oh that's great my child can go in as a junior and I'm like hmm is that really great? Do we really want an 18 year old to be with all 20 year olds in all those junior level classes? Because there is a lot to learn in that freshman year experience as a college student. So it can be great. Maybe they'll go in as electives or whatnot, but you can be strategic, but you also want to make sure that you are following the correct path for you as a student. Definitely. Sometimes your dream school at one point of your life is one school, but then in the end, that was just maybe the dream you needed, but you actually are on the correct path now. Um, So sometimes the college you end up at is really where you need to be. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, And a lot of times I think that we idealize the colleges without really knowing anything about them. Um, 
and then that can lead to disappointment either if you get in or you don't get in one way or the other um so yeah I completely agree where you end up hopefully is is where you were meant to be and I think sometimes it's a lot of the name recognition in the early part of the process that you know I have a lot of families or students that will say well you know it's it's Cornell and I'm like yeah so tell me what you like about Cornell, because it's just the name at that point. Um, so I do think sometimes that name recognition is something that will help start the process. And sometimes those schools will be on the list, but maybe Cornell is not the right school for you. Have you ever experienced cold weather? We know where <laughs> Cornell is. We know the weather's cold there. So that's where I think a lot of like the college research and the college visits will help with that um, part of the process. But Name recognition is good, but I think in the beginning part of the process. <laughs> it's less of like, what is the best school and more of what is the best school for your students specifically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Learning style is going to be so different from student to student. And just because it is a top 50 school does not mean you're going to naturally succeed there. It's still going to be really challenging. It's going to be, you know, you're going to still have to work really hard just because just you got in doesn't mean that it's going to be a breeze at this point. And I think sometimes people forget that, that it, the grind does not stop once you get accepted to the school. No. So Alex, since you are the professional, what is the most popular AP course? And then what is the most difficult AP course? Oh, that's a great question. So I would say the most popular AP course I feel like some students who have never taken an AP course before will take AP Lang during 11th grade. So I would say that AP Lang is the most popular AP course followed by AP Psychology. And I would say the most difficult AP course would definitely be in the STEM area. And I would say that that is AP Physics. I love the idea that the most popular AP course that you think it's going to be AP English um, as a humanities, like journalism major, I think that a lot of people in STEM kind of brush off the, the need for taking our English and, you know, psychology and those types of classes that maybe don't necessarily relate to the hard STEM classes. And so those kind of things can teach you really valuable skills to like analytic and writing, all these kind of things that when you're doing research later on are still going to be really valuable. So if that is the most popular one, I'm glad, I'm personally really glad to hear it because it will help them later on with college applications, all that writing. And then, you know, later on in life, every career has some aspect of writing at some point. I was actually surprised that um, I would have said it would be a push if U.S. history would be the most popular, mm-hmm. um, but it is actually language and composition. So Alex, you are right for the most popular and then most difficult. Yeah. AP physics one. Um in 2022, 144,000, over 100, over 144,000 students took that course in 2022. And it actually has the lowest pass rate of any AP exam um, at a 43.3%, along with one of the lowest percentages of students scoring a five at just 7.9%. Wow. That is crazy. Like- I think that's a great point because I have a lot of times where students say, should I take AP physics? Should I take AP chem? I already have my AP bio. So this might be a great trivia question to help students decide that AP physics is one of the hardest classes based on that pass rate. So maybe they should explore maybe a different avenue. If physics is something they're passionate about, then go for it. And maybe you could be part of that statistic. 
All right, that's it for us on the AP Curriculum Podcast. Um, we'll be dropping a new episode next Sunday. But until next time, this was the White Coat Club. Bye. 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 Thank you. <laughs>